If you will, open with me to James chapter 1. As we continue our series in James. Last week, Jonathan, when he was preaching, he preached on James chapter 1, verse 12. And last week, as his uh, focus on that was, was seeing there in verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. And so what the, the focus of the sermon last week was, was how the, the, man who, the man who remains steadfast under testing and under suffering and affliction is blessed. And so he focused on trial as seeing that as, as suffering and affliction. But one of the things we've seen already in James, going back to our first uh, sermon in the series, is that oftentimes in Scripture, or in Scripture, we see that the same word for testing can be the same, is the same word used for tempting. And so going back to our, our first sermon in the series, Jonathan preached on how every trial, every bit of testing is an occasion for temptation. And every occasion of tempting is also a time of trial and testing as well. And so we're actually going to draw on, we're going to read through 12 through 15 today uh, to see our passage. But this week we're going to focus as we bring 12 into the discussion how blessed is the man who remains steadfast under temptation, the trial of temptation to sin. And so we want to see how the Lord is offering blessing to those people. One of the things I was uh, thinking about and reflecting on this passage is just how exhausting the Christian life can be as we do not only just face sufferings, as we do not only just experience trials in this life, but until the Lord returns, we deal with our flesh. So we deal with sin. We deal with desires for evil and for wickedness, and it can just be exhausting. And so for some of you today, as, as you walk in the doors, you might be just, your life might be a time of just pure rejoicing. You know, it's like one of those moments that Peter, James, and John got to experience where they're on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. That might be characterizing your spiritual life right now, where every time you open up the Word, it's as if you're just seeing Jesus in new and exciting and blessed ways. And as you sing to the Lord, as you, as you praise Him and rejoice, your heart is caught up in that. And as you're battling against sin and battling against temptation, you're just seeing that, that so many of the temptations are just falling by the wayside because you're so desirous of the Lord. If that's you today, praise the Lord. But then for many of us who walk in through the doors today, a lot of us walk in a little bit exhausted from dealing with just the sufferings and the sorrows and the trials of life, the testing that we experience in this lifetime. And not only that, but we might be walking and exhausted from dealing with a week of struggling with temptation. And maybe we don't even find ourselves giving in to the temptation. We're just tired and exhausted because it seems like this week, for whatever reason, has just been a battle against sin, but you've experienced the Lord's faithfulness, but you're just tired. Or you might have walked in through these doors and you might be exhausted from dealing, tem dealing with temptation, but you also walk in with the burden of feeling guilt and shame because 
you're recognizing and seeing all the areas of your life where you've given into sin, where you've given into temptation and turned away from the Lord. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think one of the things, or some of the things that we want to experience today is coming to Jesus as those who are weary and heavy laden and come to find rest in Jesus Christ. One of the things that we are after today is exactly what verse 12 promises, which is why I want to bring verse 12 back into what we're seeing in 13 through 15. Blessed, happiness, happiness in the Lord. Verse 12 is a promise. Happy is the man, blessed is the man in the Lord who remains steadfast under trial. And so one of the things that we are after today is happiness in the Lord. And we desperately want that, one, because we recognize as people that the more we come to find our contentment, our joy, our happiness in the Lord, the less and less we're going to be wanting that and seeking that in the world. And so we want to see the promise of verse 12 realized in our life. So whether we come in rejoicing and praising the Lord for, for all that we're seeing and experiencing in life, or whether we come in weary and heavy laden, what we are after is more happiness in Jesus Christ. More happiness in Him. I came across this quote from uh, Puritan Richard Sibbs in The Bruised Reed, and I thought it went so well with what we're going to see today. It says this, Men, for the most part, are not lost enough in their own feeling for a Savior. Men, for the most part, are not lost enough in their own feeling for a Savior. A holy despair in ourselves is the ground of true hope. A holy despair in ourselves is the ground of true hope. And so, as we are after this happiness that's found only in Jesus Christ, as we come to James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, and we see that we have this, these desires that are within us, that are constantly after sin, the temptation is to walk out uh, even more weary and heavy laden than how we walked in. But the promises in Scripture are this, is that the more we come to see our sin for what it truly is and despair of ourselves and see ourselves to be weak and needy and broken, the promises of Scripture are that for all who come to Jesus Christ, we come to know His strength, His kindness, His love. And so what we actually want as we are after this happiness that's found only in Jesus Christ is we want to be brought low in ourselves. And as we are brought low in ourselves and seeing our own weaknesses and needs, we want to see that Jesus not only is sufficient and meets all of those needs and provides for us, but that he is overflowing overflowing in all of his goodness and all of his kindness and all of his love. And so the happiness that we're after is seeing how little we are, but seeing that in Jesus Christ, how great and how glorious he is, and that he is bringing us into himself. Not saying, hey, you, come figure it out and get your life together. No, no, no. Come to me and set your eyes on me, 
And that's where we will come to experience this happiness in the Lord. So let's read James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, and then we'll work through the passage. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, and we might say, under the trial of temptation. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Let's pray. Most holy God, we pray now for your blessing over this reading and studying and, uh, and preaching of your word. Lord God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work within our hearts and our minds, doing exactly your good will, bringing conviction and humility where we need it, but also at the same time, bringing comfort and encouragement and the vision to see Jesus. So we pray that you would bless this time, doing what only you can do, We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we are after this happiness, this blessedness that's found in the Lord for those who remain steadfast under under trials, and especially, specifically for our passage today, under the trial of temptation, we're going to to look at that in three ways. Three things that can lead us to this happiness in the Lord. Number one, temptations don't come from God. Temptations don't come come from God. Number two, temptations, partly, come from within. Temptations partly come from within. And number three, our desires will lead to death or life. Our desires will lead to death or life. So number one, one cause of rejoicing right off the bat is to consider what verse verse 13 tells us. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God, him, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Just imagine briefly for a moment that we, if we lived in a world where God were seeking to tempt us and entice us to evil. How great is that sovereignty now? If we lived in a world where God, who is sovereign and over all and above all, If we imagine that that God were for his people, tempting them and enticing them to evil, it's not a world that I want to spend much time thinking or considering. It's not a world that we would want to live in. So one cause of rejoicing is to see that temptations don't come from God. And they specifically don't come from God because of what verse 13 is teaching us, because of who God is, because of the very character of God. So as we look at the character of God, we can see this about the the unique relationship between trials and testing and temptation. So in the character of God, because of who God is, which we'll see in just a second a little bit more, when God is testing his people or trying his people, throughout the pages of Scripture, we see that God does that for the good of his people. He does that for the good of his people. When, like when you go to 1 Peter chapter 1 and you see that, that God is testing his people, he is refining their faith. 
He was refining their faith. He's taking them through the fire so that all that is dross, all that is dirty or corrupt would be burned off. And what is the end result of faith? The end result of faith is seeing him more clearly, enjoying him more deeply, coming to know the love of the triune God more and more in our lives. So any bit of testing or trying that the Lord puts his people through, it's for his people's good and their enjoyment in him and his glory in their lives. So the Lord tests and tries his people for their good. Temptations work in exactly the opposite way. Temptations are enticements to evil, to wickedness, to that which the Lord hates to that which the Lord rightly and justly brings under judgment and wrath. Temptations are against us, and the Lord's testing and trying is actually for us and for our good. One theologian put it this way, Light can sooner be the cause of darkness than holiness be the cause of unholiness. Light can sooner be the cause of darkness than holiness be the cause of unholiness. So in thinking about the character of God and how he tests and tries his people, that comes out of his good character. God in his character is perfectly, purely, infinitely good. He is wholly good. There is no hint of sin or wickedness within God. If there was, he would not be God. But God, with no hint of sin or wickedness or any desire for such thing, because of his purity, because of his holiness, because of his infinite goodness, he can tempt no one to that which he hates, to that which is not part of his character, to that which is not part of who he is as God. God tempts no one because it's contrary to his character. Yet, Our ignorance to God's character and to just how good and how holy he is leads us to do two things. One, it leads us to lay blame to God when we face temptation. And two, our ignorance to God's character leans us or leads us to sin against him to begin with. So one, this ignorance to God's character and just how good and how holy and how pure he is leads us to lay blame to God. Going all the way back to Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve sin against God and God walks in the cool of the day and he comes to them and he says, what have you done? Oh, it's this, this woman you gave me. Oh, it's, it's this serpent that spoke to me. At the end of the day, when you remove all of that behind it, who gave the woman to the man? God did. Who created all things? God did. Who even put within the garden the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? God did. So what does humanity do from the beginning as it sins against God? Well, well God, it's kind of your fault, right? Right? You've given me all of these resources for me to sin against you. 
And so we lay blame to God. So since the, first, since the beginning of our history, when we sin against the Lord in maybe subtle ways and subconscious ways, maybe we don't verbalize this, but the ways in which we, we think and we feel about the Lord is we begin to lay blame to him. Think about some of the, the excuses that maybe we hear or the blame that we lay if, if we don't just hear it. Maybe these are things that we maybe feel or find within our own hearts. Oh, the Lord made us this way. The Lord made me this way with these desires. Well, no. The Lord creates all things, but we are born into the world with a sin nature that is contrary to the Lord. The Lord is not to be blamed for our sinful desires. Well, what about in times of temptation when we say, well, the Lord has me here. Here I am standing in the midst of all of this temptation and maybe because of my work or because of my school or maybe because of my, my family situation or maybe because of these circumstances, he has me here. If he really wanted me not to sin against him, he would surely remove me from this. Or maybe we say or maybe we think or maybe we feel in such a way that says something along these lines. Well, he hasn't taken the temptation away. He hasn't taken away the person that I really love to gossip with. He hasn't taken away the temptation, the object of lust. He hasn't removed it. Maybe it's okay. Maybe this sin or maybe giving in isn't quite as bad as maybe what I read in scriptures or what the Lord's word says. If the Lord really wanted me to be away from this temptation and be away from this sin, he would, re he would remove it. And here's the thing we realize about sin, and I, just, I realize this in myself because of my own lack of brokenness, my own lack of mourning over my own sin is this, is that because God is infinitely holy, I can't comprehend just how holy and pure and good he is, and so I can't fully comprehend just how rebellious, how heinous, how wicked my sin against God is. And so our sin, from the smallest of sins to the biggest of sins, however we might look at them or justify them away, any sin against the Lord is of an infinite offense because it's against an infinitely holy God. So then how much greater is our sin when we add to our sin blaming God for our sin? Blaming God for the temptations that we are experiencing. God in his good character does not tempt his people towards sin. He does not entice them towards sin. God is perfectly, purely, infinitely good and he desires his people's holiness how do we know he desires his people's holiness we know he desires his people's holiness because he sent his son to die for our sins to make us holy so to suppose that god would tempt his people to sin is contrary to the character of god so our ignorance to God's character, one, causes us to lay blame to God, but it also causes us to do this, sin against God. Our ignorance to just how good God is leads us to sin against him. And that's what we see in point number two. Temptation, partly, comes from within. 
We sin against God. We are tempted. We are enticed to sin. So scripture would bear witness to the fact that yes, temptations don't just come from within. We have an enemy. We have, there are spiritual forces at work tempting us towards evil and sin. There is the great serpent. There is Satan, the deceiver of men. The one who from the beginning has been lying and continues to lie. So yes, we have a spiritual enemy, but not only that, Scripture bears witness that there's, there's a second part of where temptations arise from, and that's just living in the world. The world is tempting us to sin. But... Ultimately, at the end of the day, the reason why we are tempted to sin, why we are tempted to give in to the lies of the serpent, why we are tempted to give in to the desires of the world, it's because of the desires that lie within us. So before marriage and before I was pressured into liking vegetables because of my mother-in-law's cooking, someone could put before me a plate of broccoli and it would not be a temptation to eat that. But you put a plate of cookies in front of me and I'm going to be tempted. So at the end of the day, regardless of what temptations are flying all around us and coming our way, it's ultimately not a temptation if our hearts don't desire it to begin with. But that's the issue we face in verse 14. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Where does that arise from? Our ignorance to God's good character. In the Garden of Eden, as the serpent comes in to tempt, he begins to distort and question the word of God before Adam and Eve. And they begin to question and distort the word of God. And what you see with Eve is she looks at the tree, she sees, she desires that it's good for food, that it looks good, and that it has a desire to make one wise. She starts to believe the lie that God has held something back from her and that if she partakes of the fruit of this tree, she will have something more than what God has already given She is enticed and lured by her own desires and Adam with her. Since the fall, that has been the condition of humanity is that we have been ignorant to just how infinitely good and overflowing with goodness God truly is. God created humanity in Genesis chapter one to bless them. Right, Genesis chapter one, verse 28, and God commanded them or God blessed them saying, go, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it. God created humanity to bless them that they might then glorify him and enjoy him. But ever since the fall, we have been living in a condition where our heart's desire is anything. It's it's always towards everything other than the Lord. It's contrary to God. Because we are ignorant to just how good God is and we think we can get everything that God promises apart from him. In James chapter one, verse 12, blessed is the man. We are after blessing. We are after happiness. 
Adam and Eve were after happiness. They were after blessing when they sinned against God, yet they sinned against God because they didn't trust in him. We are always constantly after happiness and blessing, and sin promises a crown of life, but sin can never deliver on its promises. But since that point in time, our condition has been such that our heart is always away from the Lord. So by the time you get to Genesis chapter 6, and you're reading the flood narrative, before the Lord calls Noah, he says this about the condition of the human heart in Genesis 6 verse 5. Every intention of the heart is towards evil continually. After the flood, when we have Noah and his family, and the Lord is going to pronounce blessing upon them, but as the Lord even does that, he still reveals the condition of the human heart. The human heart after the flood is still this. In Genesis 8 verse 21, if you want to write that down, Every intention of the heart is towards evil continually. That's what we've been living in. That's what we are born into, is hearts that are constantly towards evil continually. So much so that by the time you get to the prophets, Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17 verse 9 talks about the wickedness and the deceitfulness of the heart. It's not something to be trusted, regardless of how convincing your heart is or how strong the desires of it are it is wicked and deceitful and its every desire is towards evil continually then you get to the new testament and paul would lay the charge against humanity and guess what nothing has changed by the time you get to romans chapter 3 and ephesians chapter 2 you see paul laying this charge against humanity in their heart that they are born as children of wrath how their passions and their desires are always to the satisfaction of the flesh and their own wicked mind. When you get to Romans chapter 1 and you see the depravity of humanity, how they are fallen in their heart, in their thinking, in their passions, all of it's been distorted by sin. They not only do evil, but they applaud and they approve of those who do evil. And then in Romans chapter 3, no one is righteous, no one is good, not even one. No one seeks after God. That's just the condition of the human heart left to itself towards evil continually. And so temptations are temptations because of the desires that are within us. And then we must confess and admit to ourselves that temptations to sin are temptations because sin is so attractive to us. It looks so appealing to us. So what are we supposed to do? This human condition, it's always after blessing. It's always after this crown of life. But apart from God, and this is where we need to be brought low in despair of ourselves so that we can see the strength that's found to us in Jesus Christ, we have to consider these things. Think, think about this even for the life of a believer, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, those of us who James is writing to here, when we're seeing that each person is, is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Think about all of the sins that we find ourselves giving into and how appealing it is. How appealing is gossip? Oh, you mean that I can be part of this group of people over here if I talk about this group of people over here? I'll take some of that. What about irritability? 
As I am working this week on preparing this sermon, I am irritable with my children for bugging me. Is irritability, is that pleasing to the Lord? Being annoyed? Being quick-tempered? What about anger? Oh, how appealing anger is in the moment. Oh, those people deserve it. Let me just let loose some of this anger. How appealing is the fruit of anger in the moment? Lust. Lust is attractive and appealing to objectify and to satisfy desires. But then there's even the more, the more deadly, subtle sins that we are so often blind to, such as pride. Well, I'm, I'm better than the people next to us. Like, at least I'm not tempted by what they are tempted by. And at least I am doing these things, whereas these people are not doing these things. And so we're constantly comparing ourselves to one another. What about the sin of self-indulgence? You get home from a long day of work, I just need some me time. Let me spend the next three hours on my phone or in front of the TV getting what I deserve, what I have earned for this hard day of labor and work. What about the sin of gluttony? And I don't just mean a food. What about the sin of gluttony of social media, of being on our phones, of entertainment? What about the sin of idolatry? It says that, that yes, if I just have these things, if I have what this family has over there, if I have the car that this person drives, if I have this kind of house filled with these kind of things, if I have this type of security or, or this much padding in my bank account, then, then I'll be good. Then I'll have the crown of life. Then I'll be blessed and happy. What about success? The, success, the, the, the sin of idolizing success even not just for ourselves, but, but maybe for our children, for you parents in the room. We just want our kids to be happy, to be successful, to be accepted, to be part of the groups, to do well. So Jesus is pushed to the side because we're lured and enticed by our own desires to find the crown of life and the things that the world has to offer. And then at the end of the day, we just say, like, look, when we open up the pages of the scripture and we see sin being dealt with, weary and heavy laden exhausting how exhausting is dealing with our own desires our own fleshly inclinations everything we do is tainted by sin I am up here preaching at this moment from God's word and can be tempted to seek to find my affirmation and my approval from you my desires in this moment can lead me astray. Everything we do on this side of eternity is tainted by sin. And so it's no wonder that James 1 verse 14 is true of us. We are tempted when we are lured and enticed by our own desires because every inclination of our heart is towards sin. And we find ourselves exhausted. And maybe we come today confessing to the Lord, singing to the Lord, praying to the Lord, Lord, we need you every hour we need you. We just want to want you is maybe the honest prayer of so many of us. God, we just want to want you. But even our wanting of you is tainted by sin. What are we to do? But we have to remember 
that for as low as James 1 verses 13 through 15 bring us, that this section is framed by a promise. A promise. And that's what we see in number three. Our desires lead to death or life. Our desires lead to death or life. Look in verse 15. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This is scary, right? Sin or desires, when we then take action with those desires and give in to sin and temptation, what happens is death begins to enter. Sometimes at first in small ways and subtle ways, but if we allow sin to have free reign, uncontrolled and unchecked, and if we make peace with it, it will bring death. It will bring death. We, we experience that in small ways. What happens when you gossip? Well, the result of that gossip might be momentary pleasure, but the next moment is going to be feelings of guilt and shame or brokenness with the person you just gossiped about. What happens when you give in to anger, to quick temper, to lust, You might have momentary pleasures here and there, but on the other side of that is little bits and pieces of death just entering in and bringing its chaos and sadness with it. So why is it that we as Christians continue to make peace with our desires, make peace with sin in our lives? Why do we consider sin to be so small and insignificant at times? Why do we tend to justify away our sins? Why do we seek to lay blame to God for so many of our sins? We think we can handle it. I heard one pastor in preaching on this passage, he used the analogy of of, uh, the crazy people who, who raise lions. You know, like you see videos of that where you have someone who is raising a lion, something that will grow to be something that could absolutely devour you and wipe you out in a moment. And that is how many of us in this room are dealing with sin. Many of us in this room today are not weary. We are not heavy laden. We're not exhausted because we've made peace with, peace with our sin. We're okay with it. We like it. Let's keep it in the shadows. Let's keep it in the dark. Oh, but if if I really want to get rid of it, I'll get rid of it. Don't you worry. Until that sin grows up to be a lion that kills you and brings death. Because it will do that. Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel. The Lord speaks to Cain. Cain, sin is crouching at the door. It's like a beast just waiting to devour, waiting to pounce. All sin leads to death. Sin promises life. It promises the crown of life, but it can never deliver. And we are after the happiness of the Lord. Our desires are either going to lead us to death or they're going to lead us to life. To which you say, well, what about Genesis 6? And Genesis 8 and Jeremiah 17 and Ephesians chapter 2 and Romans chapter 3 where it says that all of our desires are towards evil continually. What good is it to say that our desires are going to lead us to life when our desires are only towards what brings us death? And that's where we see the promises of Scripture and what the Lord does for his people. So going back to the Old Testament, 
Going back, it, when you think of Deuteronomy chapter 10, go back to, go to Deuteronomy 30, but let me reference, as you're turning to Deuteronomy 30, let me reference chapter 10. So turn to Deuteronomy 30. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. So this is Moses' last sermon, if you will, before the people enter the promised land. And he's giving them the law and the commandments saying, if you do these commandments, life. But if you break these commandments and you sin against the Lord, death. So our ears ought to perk up. Well, hey, we want life. We want the blessing of the Lord. We want the crown of life. So how is it that we get life? And this is what Moses would say. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart. But guess what, Israelites? You can't. You have a heart of stone, a heart that is towards evil continually, and your heart needs to be circumcised. The fleshliness, the sinful desires need to be removed. And then by the time we get to Deuteronomy chapter 30, as Moses has told them that all of the death and all of the curses are going to come upon the people because they can't love the Lord their God with all of their heart, this is what he says in Deuteronomy 30 verse 1. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice and all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore you, will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. So what do the people have to do to enter back into this blessing? They have to return. They have to repent with all of their heart. But we say, the Israelites say, but Moses, you told us we can't do that. But here you are telling us that if we do that, we'll enter back into this blessing, back into this life. So then we get promises like Ezekiel chapter 36 and Jeremiah 31. Ezekiel 36, the Lord through Ezekiel says to the people, you have a heart of stone. It does not want the Lord. It does not desire righteousness. It will not lead you to walk in a way that's pleasing to God, but I will remove the heart of stone from you and give you a heart of flesh. I will sprinkle you clean with water and I will give you a new spirit and I will put my spirit within you. What needs to happen to us in order for our hearts to desire to repent, to return to the Lord with all of our heart is that the Lord needs to give his people a new heart. That's what needs to happen is we need a new heart with new desires and praise the Lord. He comes and he does spiritual surgery upon our hearts so that by the time we get to Colossians chapter two, when Paul is describing the salvation that's found in Jesus, he says this, that when Jesus deals with our sins, he circumcises our hearts, removing this heart of flesh to have a heart that beats after Jesus. And so we can draw three comforts. Number one, the Lord gives his people new desires. The Lord gives his people new, des new desires. Look, we don't have to come away from today and say, all right, if it's my desires that are leading me towards sin and towards death, if I just grip my teeth and bear it, then I'll get some new desires and I'll want the Lord. No. What has to happen for us is for us to repent and come to the Lord and he gives his people new heart, a new heart with new desires that are after him. 
that want to put sin to death and want to walk in righteousness. But not only that, the, the second comfort we can draw from the pages of Scripture is this, is that God will put His Spirit within them. Go read Romans chapter 8 today. Romans chapter 8 is all about the Christian life. And it's the Christian life on this side of eternity where we are walking through the wilderness, where we are dealing with sin, where we who have the Spirit of Christ within us still still are dealing with our flesh and with sinful desires. But what does the Lord promise to do according to Romans chapter 8? Is that the same Spirit who raised Christ Jesus Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. God will put his spirit within you to work in you new desires to bring life to your mortal bodies while you are dealing with the flesh and your desires that are still after sin he puts his spirit within you to bring you life Romans chapter 8 verse 13 if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live the spirit not not only just brings us into life but the spirit will empower us to put sin to death He will empower us. He will strengthen us. He will live and move within us that we we might put sin to death. But then you say, but I still fail. Here I am, weary and heavy laden, still giving in to sin and following my fleshly desires. Well, don't worry. The Spirit has you covered there as well because as we walk through this life groaning against our sinfulness, the Spirit groans for us, interceding for us, with groanings that are too deep for words. And the Spirit prays for His people when they do not know how to pray as they ought to pray. I don't even know how to pray against my sin like I ought to pray. But the Spirit intercedes. The one who knows the will of God intercedes perfectly for His people. So the Spirit will, so God will give his people new desires so that we might return to him. God gives us the Holy Spirit, bringing us life, empowering us to put sin to death. But not only that, the other comfort that we can draw from this today and from the pages of Scripture is that the promises of God will be realized. God is not unfaithful. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under temptation, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. And here is where we see these promises realized. As we repent and turn from our sin and come to see the life that's found in Jesus Christ, we get these promises in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 and verse 8. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, verse 6. Blessed, happy, happy is the man who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for he shall be satisfied. We long for the crown of life. Sin cannot deliver it. But for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because of the new desires that God has given them, because of the ways in which the Holy Spirit is working within them, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be satisfied. You will never regret pursuing righteousness, but you will regret pursuing sin every time you do it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed, happy, Blessed is the man whose heart, who is pure in heart. And why? Why? Why are they happy? For they shall see God. And here's the true antidote 
for sin and temptation and desire. And it's exactly what God delights to do for his people. Cause us, we who are impure, who are so mixed up with sin, he desires and delights to make us pure and holy before him so that we would see him. Sin is promising to each and every single one of us a crown of life, but it will not deliver. But for those who remain steadfast because of the new desires that God has put within them, through the powerful working and preserving and protecting and sustaining of the Holy Spirit whom God has given them, God will fulfill his promises. He will give them a crown of life. And as we talked about last week, the greatest gift that God gives to his people is himself. So that we can come, just like David in Psalm 16, and say, truly, you, Lord, are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's the crown of life that awaits God's people as we repent our way into joy. As we repent our way into seeing Jesus and experiencing his rule and his reign in our lives as he gives us new desires, new delights that want and desire him. And as we know the working of the Holy Spirit, perfecting us, sanctifying us, causing us to look more like him, causing us to want him more. The Lord promises to do that. Will we take him at his word? So listen, the crown of life is available to us all today in Jesus Christ. Pleasures forevermore are at his right hand if we just come to him. If you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus, repented of sin, Today is a day of salvation for any who would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing him as Lord and Savior, as one who would die for their sins, but who has been raised for their justification. Today is a day for salvation for any who would call upon him. Do not leave without knowing that salvation. Jesus says, come repent your way into the joy of my salvation. Come and know my all-sufficiency. And for all of us who are here today and are weary and heavy laden in one way or another, we can go out with this comfort that when we come to Jesus, he bestows upon us life and he will sustain his people. He will keep his people. He will preserve them to the end. We can praise the Lord for that. So let's repent of our sinful desires and come before him pleading, Lord, make me more like Jesus, your son with his desires. Let's pray. Most Holy Father, we come confessing that we as believers are so prone to wander and our hearts are so often towards the things of this world. We pray, Lord God, that you would continue to refine us and sanctify us that our desires would be more and more like Jesus, your sons, your son, that we would desire righteousness above all else, 
and that your Holy Spirit would powerfully work within us, sustaining us, giving life to our mortal bodies, but also empowering us to put sin to death, to take the desires that we have towards sin and repent and come to you and draw near to you. Lord God, we thank you that even when we pray weak prayers, insufficient prayers against our own sinfulness, we thank you that you, Holy Spirit, who know the will of God and you who know our hearts and our weaknesses, you perfectly intercede for us. And you, Holy Father, delight to give us all we need that we might walk holy and blameless before you all the days of our life. So, Lord God, would you give us grace to come and repent, to turn not just our actions away from sin and to you, but to repent of our wrong, sinful desires. And, Lord God, we pray that you would give us desires that are after you and only after you, Lord God. Lord God, we pray that if there are any here today who do not yet know you and the salvation that's found in Jesus and are still living in this world seeking to find happiness, seeking to find a crown of life in the things of this world, we pray that you would bring them under conviction so that they would come to know the joy of salvation that's found in Jesus. We pray that you would be pleased to work in that way. Lord God, we thank you for Jesus and the salvation that's found in him, for the rescue and deliverance of sins that we have for all the reasons you give us to rejoice and praise you, even in the midst of all of our struggles and sufferings against testings, against trials, and against temptation. We have all the reason in the world to boast because of who you are and what you've done and accomplished for us and in us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.